Welcome to another edition of the Cambridge Endurance Sports Podcast. I have to say it's been a real pleasure doing these last two episodes, this one and the one with Will Clark, because it's an opportunity for me to catch up with people that I haven't seen for a long time and uh, to renew acquaintances with old friends. And that's particularly the case with Matt, who I used to run with 25 years ago or more. And we chat about that in this podcast, along with many other things. The introductory track there, I want to fall off my bike today, was particularly appropriate uh, with Matt, who's now a cyclocross national champion, as you will hear in the chat we have. He did actually mention one story that we didn't fit into the interview, which I think is worth just recounting here. And that was that he was in a mountain bike race. It was a lapped race and there were two laps to go and he was in a good position. He was aiming for a podium and on track for it and the last thing he remembers is going into a wooded section with two laps to go and the next thing he remembers after that is crossing the finish line and he was blooded and had a dented helmet and it seems that he must have had a crash and been concussed but still got back on his bike and managed to finish the race and in fact he slipped down to 11th place but certainly still managed to go at a decent lick to do that. Incredible that he still has no memory of those two laps. A bit scary, but uh, certainly a good story and one I wish I'd included in the podcast now. So Matt's on Instagram. He's on Davies 5 Please give him a follow. Definitely worth doing. And of course, if you can follow us at uh, Cam's Endurance Sports Podcast as well, that's brilliant. The more followers everyone gets the more motivated they are to put content out matt races for a team called aes Uh, it's associated with his work uh, renewable energy systems company in america of course he's also sponsored by sram and sweet protection so good luck to him with those sponsors as he carries on into post 50 champion form yeah he's 50 years old he's just won the united states national cyclocross championship and we go into that in detail but we start off by talking about his running so sit back or carry on running and or cycling and enjoy my chat with matt davies right i'm here with a real blast from the past from Fenditton, the Fenditton Massive was myself, Matt Davies, who I've got here with me now, and uh, Sam Bowden, who I hope to have on the show at some point as well. Matt's over in Boulder now, and he's just become age group cyclocross national champion, which is a big deal, probably a bigger deal there than it is here. In fact, I'm sure of that. Um, but I want to start by saying hello to Matt and uh, reminding him of the old days. So uh, how well do you remember those old Fenditton days, Matt? Hi, Ben. Good to be, good to be on. Thanks for uh, inviting me to join your podcast. Um, yeah, I've got very fond memories of uh, of the Fenditton running days. Um, as you know, I was uh, a big cross country and track runner, and um, we had a great little group training together um, regularly, three or four days a week, I'd imagine it was. And um, you know, our coach Barry Matthews was uh, the person who pulled that all together. So yeah, very fond memories of running with you guys. 
Yeah, well, I mean, you played an important part for me because uh, your mum was actually working with my ex-wife and uh, I was starting to run, but I wasn't a member of a club or anything. And uh, I think it was her who suggested that you came round and said, did I want to come and join your group, which I did. And uh, it all started there for me, really. And I remember one of the very first races, in fact, probably the first race that we both did was the Cambridgeshire County Cross Country Champs, which, funnily enough, was actually on today. Uh, today it was in St Neots, and I saw another of our training friends, Mike Salt, there today. But uh, when we did it all those years ago, I think it might have been 93. Uh, you might have a better memory than me. Um, it was at Ramsey, and you actually won that day. Do you remember that race? Yeah, I do remember it well. One of my rare cross-country victories, I have to say. Um, yeah, it was a, a very cold day, I remember, with icy winds blowing across the fens in Ramsey. Yeah. And um, I remember I just had like the usual vest and shorts on, but I managed to keep warm, um, whereas many of other people were being uh, taken off by the St. John's Ambulance with hypothermia. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it was a good good day for me. Um and uh, yeah, successful race. Yeah, I think we had um, hay bales to climb over as well. It was mainly flat, of course, and muddy and freezing. And yeah, we did a flat bit of fields, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we did a bit of cross country. I know there was the Ickneald League at the time, which was a competitive race, wasn't it, back in the day? Yeah, it was. Um, teams from all over um, the, the East Anglia and kind of into the Midlands region as well. I think Bedford, Northampton competed in those. Those Ignil leagues as well, they were very solid, usually 100 plus in the, the men's category. Yeah, good days, good days. But your main focus, I think I'm right in saying, was probably on the 800 and 1500 metre running. And we used to do a lot of track sessions together with you way out in front of me, I have to say. Um, do you want to just sort of give us some highlights of your development as an 800 and 1500 metre runner? I know you've got some very impressive PBs. I think, is it 148 or 149 for the uh, 800? Yeah, that's right. Um, I ran 149 for the 8 and uh, 344 for the 1500. Um, yeah, I, I started running, I used to go to a, a private school in Cambridge called St Faith's. Sure mm -hmm. you're familiar, Ben. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of obligatory that you had to do cross-country running uh, during the winter. And then um, it was a choice between, um, you know, athletics or track and field, as I now know it here in the US, yeah. uh, and cricket. Um, and I was never, honestly, that coordinated with ball sports when I was younger. So uh, I kind of took a, a liking to the 800. And that's my first recollection of running on, on the track, albeit a grass field at the time, of course, um, when I was, you know, around about my son's age now, eight or nine, something like that. And it just carried carried through until I went into secondary school um, here in Cambridge, well, there in Cambridge. Um, I continued cross-country running and, and track and field and, um, you know, it seemed to be a talent. I was a little bit of an oddball in that I actually enjoyed cross-country, whereas all the other lads seemed to despise it <laughs> where did you go after but, some uh, faiths yeah. then which school did you go after some faiths yeah i went to netherhall in cambridge oh, yeah. well so you had the cross-country course on your on in your grounds that's right yeah that was um that was really great to have lime kiln hill pretty much the only hill in cambridge uh in our backyard so, yeah. so to speak to train on and i spent many many a saturday or sunday with barry and yeah. and some other people you know ben um 
knocking out the, the hill repeats. And I, I still do hills uh, on foot and on bike today. And I think that's a really important part of, uh, of training for those disciplines. Yeah, yeah. I remember doing those hills with you. And uh, I don't think I ever went with you, but Barry, who you mentioned there, he used to take you down to Sandy to do the dunes there, didn't he, as well? Was that another favourite session? That's right, yeah. Um, we were pretty regularly um, at Sandy's, kind of in Bedfordshire, maybe uh, 45 minutes away um, from Cambridge. And we used to meet up there every um, Saturday morning. And there used to be this huge, big sand quarry, quarry um, that we used to train in and do pretty big, short um, sessions. So when I mean big and short, I mean uh, three sets of 15 20-second sand hills, that sort of thing. And uh, you could barely walk, let alone do a warm-up after them. But, yeah, consistently doing that week in, week out with uh, with my training partners was really great for my 800- uh, and 1500-metre run. Yeah. So let's talk a bit about the training that you did back in the day and um, whether you think, looking back, you'd have changed much. I mean, I look back fondly on those times. And, you know, I've studied a lot about coaching methods. And I actually think... Barry, even if he might have been a bit old school, he basically had it right. And he had a good mix of sessions for us. And he was never making us do absolutely crazy stuff, but it was just enough, I think, to push and get the gains. What do you think? Yeah, I tend to agree with you, Ben. Uh, it was old school. Um, it was something like in the summer we would do two, at least two track sessions a week and, and then maybe a longish run. Um, you know, one of those track sessions would be pretty much all out, you know, 100% effort. Um, but we would do also do a grass session. I remember doing some, mm. a lot of Houston football grounds and cricket, right. cricket fields around, the, knocking sessions out around there. And Parker's Peace in Cambridge, we used to do a lot of yeah. uh, grass sessions there. But yeah, I think um, it, wasn't, it wasn't what I'd call super sophisticated, probably compared to uh, today's standards, you know, with the use of heart rate monitors and um, certainly power meters on bikes and that sort of thing, mm. uh, it's it's almost uh, getting super technical at the moment. Um, but yeah, I think um, two two or three hard sessions a week, um, and then plenty of kind of recovery runs in between, uh, and then switching up and, and building a base during the winter um, too. But again, we weren't really one of these high mileage groups mm. necessarily i was i was probably uh, averaging 70 miles a week in the in the winter and that would be a, a good a good week for me and then mm. in the summer sort of drop drop down to 35 40 miles a week but with a lot of intensity on the track obviously so mm. yeah i think um there was a lot to be said for for what barry um prescribed us all and uh, it, it worked out well now, just give us a couple of highlights then. Are there any particular track races that you remember as being highlights of, of those days? Am I right in thinking you did represent Wales? I did on a couple of occasions, yeah. I used to go and do the Welsh Champs. Um, my father's from Wales, so uh, I guess that makes me half Welsh. Um, so I took the opportunity to compete for Wales and do the Welsh Championships. Uh, I finished second, um, I think it was my best finish, um, 1,500 at, uh, in the Welsh Champs. Um, we, all, we went to um, Hungary and competed there in, in Budapest one year. Um, and of course, I competed for my um, my team, Woodford Green, with Essex Ladies um, for 
oh, probably the best part of the decade. Um, and one of the highlights from that was we made it to the European Clubs Championships uh, final. And um, that was in Istanbul in Turkey. Right. So that was a great memory too. Yeah, because obviously you started at CNC, didn't you? And then and then moved right. to moved to Woodford Green, and you were quite quite involved, weren't you, with the club there? Was that something you really enjoyed doing? Yeah, I did. Um, yeah, I basically, you know, from school, uh, having competed for you know the county at school, um, both uh, well, primarily at, at um, cross country nationals, but also on the on the track. Um, I then joined the local running club probably when I was about uh, 15 or 16, I want to say. Um, and that was Cambridge and Coleridge, as you say, Ben. Um, and I spent a good few years there competing in the Southern Men's League. Mm. And it was only really when um, I got into my early 20s um, that my 1500 metre running primarily kind of started to take off. And I started, you know, to show some promise, let's say and um, decided to move to Woodford Green um, as a club um, to get a bit more sort of national level competition, if you like. Um, so, yeah, after I'd been with Woodford for a few years, they asked me to be uh, one of the team managers and team captain. So uh, I think I did four or five years as, as um, one of the team managers and uh, I was responsible for the middle distance um, team. And, uh, yeah. I loved loved doing that. It was we had a great atmosphere. We travelled all around the country to do the British leagues, and uh, as I mentioned, we had the opportunity to go to Turkey, uh, which was really great. Yeah, I think am I right? I think you flirted with a couple of other distances. Did you ever go at a steeplechase once or twice, and uh, maybe any longer stuff? I'm just thinking now. You're into your cyclocross. Whether you, what you've learned about your uh, physiology, let's say, and your natural ability. Do you think? the 8 and 15 were the best running events for you? Or do you think maybe you would have been suited to something longer had you trained for it? Well, that's a really good question, Ben. <laughs> it, I was kind of in... I felt somewhat in no man's land a lot, of, a lot of the time in terms of distances because I never had the, the pure outright speed of a, of a, a 400 and 800-metre runner. Mm. Um, yet I didn't really have the endurance... Uh, of a like five and ten k runner, um, so although I was a decent cross country runner in the winter, and, and obviously had some sort of mileage in my legs at that point, you know, fifteen hundred was really my sweet spot. Mm. I feel like, and and furthermore, I'd say that I had to have, I, or my best races were always fast races from the get go. And very even paced. Mm. You know, I didn't have a huge kick finish like some of my contemporaries did. Um, so I always had to make the pace honest. And so it was always nice to go go to somewhere like Willemshaw and do the BMC races where they had a pacemaker in there, and you could just sit and sit in the pace, um, maybe in third or fourth place, and, and go around in like two minutes for eight hundred, and then mm. just try and keep that pace going. So. Um, I guess to answer your question, I think, yeah, I was, as a 1,500-metre runner, I think I was in the right spot in terms of my ability and talent. Um, but, you know, now, um, having taken up cycling the last 10 years or so, um, I've, I've had to get my head around doing more endurance training. Mm. Uh, and that has been challenging and, and um, 
it's you know I, when when someone uh, when one of my training partners asked me to go for a four or five hour ride, <laughs> that's mm. not something I particularly relish. <laughs> still, <laughs> um, but yeah, you know you just got to get it done, and uh, it pays dividends in the end. Yeah, what was it then that um, took you away from running? What made you sort of scale your running down? And was that before you moved to America? So um, yeah, I guess when I when I got into my um, mid thirties, I was plagued with um, gen, mainly Achilles injuries. Yeah, I'm still trying to race on the track uh, a lot, which which required really the aforementioned hill sessions and and two or three track sessions or two track sessions and a race every week during the summer and that clearly puts a strain on on your body and in particular for me it was my achilles um so i really suffered (laughs) um never went under the knife luckily but Mm. um it really put an end to my my sort of high-ish level track um aspirations and so um, that that kind of coincided with me moving to the US, um, and I was at a point where I, I was trying hard to motivate to race um, the distances that I wanted to race, whether that was on the track or on the road. Um, so I started looking elsewhere, and a friend of mine suggested that I should try cyclocross. Actually, it's a it's a huge, got a huge following here in Boulder. It's kind of one of the hubs in the right. US for cyclocross, um, with lots of races and lots of participation. And I remember one morning, I was on my way to work in my car, and I saw this group of guys on bikes. It was in the winter. The weather wasn't particularly pleasant. There was probably snow on the ground, and they were heading off to do a, a, a workout. And uh, I thought, wow, that looks that looks interesting. I, I like the sound of that. I could I could ride a bike for sure. I've ridden a bike all my all my life, but I've never competed on a bike. So um, the next season, I decided to to invest in a cyclocross bike. I hadn't really done any training. I was still running at the time, just not competitively. Um, and I jumped into a cyclocross race and uh, had an amazing time. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, never looked back really. I think that was in uh, 2009 was my first sort of half season of cyclocross. Right, right. I oh, see so you went straight to cyclocross. That was going to be one of my questions because did you do a bit of mountain biking or any road as well or has it always just been cyclocross? I, I toyed with it. You know, I never really competed. I probably did two or three mountain bike races. In fact, I did. Didn't I you did come to couple. England and do one? Um, well, that was cyclocross. That was cyclocross. So, um, yeah, while well, I was still living in the, in the UK, I did a couple of mountain bike races, but I didn't train for them. In fact, I remember doing one at Thetford Forest. Mm. Uh, it was about a two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour race, and I had no concept of endurance and <laughs> fuel, etc., etc., like you do, so, uh, Ben, for, uh, I can well imagine. And, uh, yeah, I got halfway through this race, and I was doing reasonably well. I can't even remember whether I was a novice or, or whatever, but... Uh, I suddenly started suffering and uh, bonked, and it was just miserable. <laughs> and at that point, I realised, well, yeah, well, this is uh, this is a totally different kettle of fish here. If I'm going to be competing for you know two plus hours, I need to consider how to fuel my body beforehand. So that was a, a new aspect that I hadn't really had to take on board before, because even my long runs were only about an hour and a half long, and get away with uh, not really 
doing much prior to that in terms of fueling. But no. yeah, so I, I um, came to the US and, and went straight into cyclocross effectively, bought a bike, did my first race, um, fell in love with it pretty much instantly. Uh, it was a relatively smooth transmission uh, transition for me coming from a middle distance background um, because, you know, the races are usually around an hour. Yeah. Are they similar to what we see on the World Cup circuit? Are they that sort of race? Yeah, definitely. The conditions can be um, different here, certainly at the beginning of the season. We start our season a little bit earlier on in September. And, um, you know, Colorado is, uh, a, well, certainly this elevation, which is mile high here in Boulder, so mm. five and a half thousand feet ish. Um, we're a semi-arid desert here, so mm. uh, much of the year we don't see any precipitation. Um, and then it's only sort of in the thick of winter that the snow comes, of course. So at the beginning of the season in September, we can be racing in 90 degrees mm. and it can be a dust bowl, you know, mm. some of these courses. And pretty pretty harsh on the body because there's a lot of bumps to navigate and, you know, it's... it's, it's uh, challenging from that regard and then you know as we go through the season uh, the conditions change it gets colder of course and uh, hopefully we get a bit of snow and mud yeah you like that yeah so what, what were the yeah. what were the sort of what were the um technical challenges then that you found when you started cyclocross i mean something i've thought about doing but i think i would just fall off too much i like the idea that you can run a bit so that must have been brilliant for you as well but um technically in terms what were the challenges was it the course the hand in the corners jumping on and off what were the things that you found the easiest and the hardest yeah, um, well, as I already mentioned, the, the, the distance was about right because, yeah. you know, the intensity, uh, although it's very high intensity, uh, it's fairly short-lived for an hour, you know, in, in cycling terms at least. Um, so I, I felt like I could accommodate that pretty well. And, um, you know, just to give you an idea, my I'm 50 now, as you, as you probably know. Um, my maximum heart rate is 183. But my average heart rate for say an hour hour race, my average would be about 173 high. for the entirety of the race. So um, that intensity kind of suited my um, my body and what I've been put it through for you know middle distance running. I feel like mm. um, so that in that regard, I thought it was a really good transition. Also, I, I feel like um, I'm fairly nimble, and you, mm. you have to be nimble for cross because you're always on and off the bike. Um, and I, I feel like the cross-country running gave me that, you know, having to deal with running across plowed fields and uneven surfaces and stuff like that. Mm. I was pretty used to moving my feet quickly. And again, harking back to the, the hill training, quick quick um, leg movements and mm. foot, foot speed is uh, critical. But yeah, definitely the technical side of cross takes a lot of practice, you know, and, and I'm, I'm, so I'm still learning stuff now. Um, and you just have to put time aside to, to practice the technical side, not, not always just focus on, the, on the, the hard, you know, cardiovascular workouts. Um, you know, spend an afternoon running up some stairs and remounting your bike at the top, that sort of thing. <laughs> so yeah, it is just practice. And, uh, it does take years to, to get it perfected. Yeah. But even when you started, were you good enough 
not to look ridiculous. <laughs> so that on the on the corners, things like that. I mean, that's where I think I would come up. And you see the speed some of these downhill corners are taken out, and I just think, no, I would I'd be hesitating too much and just get knocked off or left behind. I definitely had my fair share of road rash over the years. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah. Like I, I said in the beginning of the season, we have very dry conditions here, so what you end up with is a sort of hard pack uh, with what we call marbles on top, or sort of you know loose bits of gravel. And I've had lots of washouts of front tires, and you know that's all part of getting used to how to handle the bike through the corners, knowing where the limitations are. And, you know, a big part of cyclocross is getting the right tyre pressures um, mm. in as well, uh, which which is helpful. But, again, it's it's practice, understanding what conditions you're you're dealing with, even even knowing knowing the course and practising the course. You know, here in Boulder, we've got the luxury of having, you know, 20-odd races a season. So that's over a sort of three, three-and-a-half-month period. We have 20 different venues and local races um, within half an hour of Boulder, um, so it's easy to go and practice the courses prior to the races. Mm. You know, work on the corners that you think are are more technical than others. Because you know, if you're doing a, a race with eight laps, you're hitting that particular corner eight times, mm. and if you get it wrong every time, it's going to cost you seconds, which builds up. And you know, there might be fifty corners per lap that you have to navigate, and and if you're not getting them dialed, those those seconds soon add up. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think I'm right in saying you went you used to go skiing with your mum and dad as a child, probably as well. I know you're skiing now as well because you've just been telling me um, that the resorts aren't that far away, traffic permitting. But uh, do you think that maybe helped with the bravery side of it? Do you think that maybe makes you used to downhill speed and you're a bit fearless because of it? Possibly. Um, adrenaline definitely kicks in for me when I'm, when I'm racing um, and, and some of the anxiety is reduced as mm. a result of that adrenaline burst. Um, yeah, I did, I did grow up skiing. Luckily, with my parents, they were, they were avid skiers and they'd take, us off, um, take me off once a year and put me in ski school for a week or so, and, and that was great. And, and, yeah, I think some of those skills definitely... Um, count you know just shifting your your weight around the skis when you're when you're mm. turning um versus shifting your weight around the bike um, mm. on those corners uh, and again it's something that um i have to practice every year when the season starts you know if you've been riding a lot on the road um or mountain biking is also different but when you get back on those skinny cyclocross tires um on that single track and uh, you definitely have to dial it in take the time to get used to the bike again and move yourself around the saddle and make sure that you, you're lowering your centre of gravity. Mm. Right, well, before we talk about your brilliance and your, how you're doing your racing and training that you're doing at the moment, uh, have you got any tips that you would give to someone who's thinking of taking up cyclocross? What would be, you say would be like the best way to prepare before entering your first race, apart from buying the bike, of course? Yeah, um, well... As you mentioned, get a, get a bike that fits, um, and if you can, I mean, I mean uh, money no object. You'd want to race on tubular tires. Um, really? So that, those are the tires that you glue to the rims. 
So that's um, tubular as opposed to tubeless, you're saying? That's right, yeah. So what, What's the advantage um, there then? So tubular, um, you can run even lower tyre pressures than tubeless. Um, tubeless, you know, there's the danger of, of burping, what they call burping the tyres and some of the sealant coming out mm. and the tyre pressure momentarily dropping or losing some air. And, and, um, with, with tubular tyres that you, as I say, glue to the wheel... Uh, rim itself you can run lower pressure there's no chance of um, you know pinch flats or anything like that uh, and it obviously gives you a, a bigger surface area of the tyre to the to the dirt or right. whatever surface you're riding on and because um, I know for road yeah. riders they were back in the day they were presumed to be the fastest anyway I mean I used to race on tubulars and then it I think uh, now the peloton seems to be switching more to to clincher and and tubeless, but yeah, I see what you're saying about the the tire pressure going on the low pressure, that really helps. Yeah, yeah. and and you know the the tire compounds and the the tire designs that you can get these days mean that the the tire, the sidewall in particular is is super flexible when you run low pressure, mm. and it just becomes so much more grippy. And you know when you're when you're racing particularly at a high level. Every every little advantage counts. Um, mm. So, you know, I've got a funny story about um, tire pressure. I'll tell you a little bit later on, perhaps when we talk about. Um, no, come on, do it now. You might as well tell, tell us it now. Come on. Okay. Well, um, my my teammate and, and training partner is renowned for running super low tire pressures, and you know I've broken my fair share of, of carbon wheels in cross races. That's expensive. When, uh, hit a rock, you know, in the middle of nowhere that you hadn't spotted, perhaps you can, you, that, that fateful cracking sound of mm. carbon breaking is never one you want to hear. But mm. um, so I've always been a little bit nervous about, about running two lower tyre pressures. Anyway, um, at Nationals this year, the conditions were, were great. In fact, there'd, there'd been a, a frost on the grass and uh, it subsequently thawed um, just before my race. And uh, so uh, there weren't any particular... Uh, areas to be cautious with in terms of tyre pressure. So I was running, I think, 21, 22, so 21 on the front, 22 on the rear, um, which is fairly low. And uh, my teammate uh, advised that I drop a couple of uh, a couple of PSI as we were walking to the start line. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I took faith in him, and he duly did so. Uh, he, he had his pressure gauge with him and dro dropped, I think, to nineteen twenty. Just to give people and an idea, when it's about nineteen twenty, if you press your thumb hard on it, how much give is that? Is there pretty much a well, lot? Of yeah, it gives. It is a lot of give, um, unnervingly so for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't want to hit a, a, a curb or anything like that with that sort of pressure on it. You want to make sure that there's no rocks yeah. or sort of corners mm. here in Colorado we have a lot of transitions where you maybe come off grass onto a concrete footpath and those corners uh, and if you don't spot them or you're not paying attention or you're too tired to bunny hop up or something like that then they can easily break a, a carbon wheel um so yeah you can you can definitely push down and if you really wanted to you could probably contact the the rim edge with your thumb if you know if you press hard enough with right. uh, um, so anyway, seems crazy we were, that that's fast, doesn't it? Doesn't it seems to go yeah. against logic? It's just all about the grip, right? And um, 
So I was literally on the start line and I pushed down on my handlebars just to feel what it felt like and it felt way too low. Yeah. And I and I was on the verge of freaking out on the start line a minute before the start and I, I looked at my my teammate and I said, It's too much, how much did you lay out? And uh, he reassured me that I'd be fine and he was absolutely right, of course. So <laughs> kudos to uh, my friend Felipe for for letting out a bit of extra pressure. <laughs> well, we'll talk about that race. We'll talk about that race in a minute. Let's let's talk about your uh, progression then through the ranks as you uh, took up this new sport. Because I know you've done the national champs quite a lot of times yeah. and finished highly, and it culminated in your success this year. Uh, so take us through sort of how and why you think you've managed to get up those steps on, and onto the podium and now onto the top of it. Yeah, um, so I think I mentioned earlier, I, I think my first season, um, which was really a half a season, was in 2009. Um, so I, re I really got going sort of 2010, 2011. But I was still running a lot, you know. I didn't have a lot of time. I was trying to juggle my career um, with, with, you know, looking after my son and training as much as I could. So I, I, I felt, you know, old habits burnt... Uh, died hard in terms of I still enjoyed running and it was just easy you know hassle-free just throw on your running shoes out the door and we've got so many great trails here in Boulder as you can imagine that just take you straight up into the mountains I was still probably running five days a week and maybe just getting on my bike a couple of times mm. uh, and those times might have been just to race um, but as as the as the seasons went by I, I I definitely transitioned to 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 riding more, maybe uh, five times a week, and then running once a week. Um, and yeah, there's a huge cyclocross community here, as I mentioned earlier. And um, so, from September to December, you can race every weekend, if not twice. Often, there's like races on Saturdays and Sundays. So I was jumping in. Uh, started off as a Cat Four and progressed through the categories i'm not sure ben how that is, is it a similar system in the uk it certainly was yeah um certainly with road cycling as well yeah and, and then i think with cyclocross it's a bit different isn't it because the better you do you further up the front you get seeded in the races and yeah we, we we'll, we'll talk about that because that's an important factor for sure but um yeah so i started as a cat four and then each season i moved up until eventually i became a, a cat a cat one a few years later um there's a big community here of cyclocrosses as i as i said um and back then we used to have um a workout called wednesday worlds where people would work uh, meet meet at the local um course at about seven o'clock in the morning rain or shine and just knock out an hour and a half um, of kind of race simulation laps, which was really great for me. It just got me into regularly training hard. Um, I bet you were mixing then, with some really good people there as well. Were there some? Oh, even, yeah, was it were, every level up to pro there? Or? For sure, there's usually um, four or five pros there. Definitely masters, national championships, um, champions, and and even one or two world champions. Yeah. Um, and then also there's a huge entourage of uh, junior races here. Uh, Boulder Junior Cycling has, has got a, a massive program for cyclocross and um, probably the best in, in the country. 
and so there's always you know a dozen or so juniors showing up and, and schooling me <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah that was great to to do wednesday worlds and then as i as i um got a little better i you know i was racing for various different teams over the years and most teams are associated with shops here in town cycling shops okay. usually and so I was lucky enough to become an ambassador um, for those those teams and, and started coaching and having training sessions once or twice a week. So uh, the other beauty of Boulder is we've got the mountains, of course. So although we're at elevation here um, at five and a half thousand feet, you can very easily get up to 10,000 feet just by riding out, out of town and up into the mountains. Mm. So, you know, that's what I enjoy doing most really is, is getting on the gravel roads uh, away from the traffic and just riding up in in beautiful conditions. The weather most of the year is is uh, just dry and um, very much riding worthy. Uh, mm. I don't know how I would cope being in the UK with it raining all the time. Mm. <laughs> just a quick aside then, because obviously gravel is something a lot of people are into now, uh, both yeah. in America and here now. It's getting very cool isn't it so um what are the gravel roads like there i mean we when i think of gravel here it's basically either it might be a footpath or it might be a busway or it might be um a road with a few stones on it what what is there an actual sort of gravel network over there or yeah absolutely um there there are lots and lots of gravel road uh, opportunities here um and i would say you know because we're, maybe it's part of being in the wild west or, or something but, you know, people love living up in the mountains, even in the foothills just here. So um, a lot of the roads that are not paved, it's just simply all the neighborhood roads and, and a lot of the connecting roads, once you get up out of town, mm. the majority of them are gravel. Right. Um, so there's, there's so much opportunity to ride. And like I say, it gets you to all the best places up high in the mountains and you get away from the traffic, most importantly, because mm. mm. there are lots of, um, fatality, sadly, down certainly down down here on the front range with cyclists. Oh, right. But very cautious of that. Mm. So, so what, uh, yeah, go on. Yeah, go on. No, no, I was just going to say. So, when when was your first top ten then in in the nationals? Um, so I think I went to nationals first time in 2012. I think it was in Wisconsin. Uh, I'd have to I'd have to check my notes. Yeah, <laughs> but. Um, uh, I think I finished um, top 10 there just about. Uh, it was terrible conditions, very muddy, very cold. It had frozen uh, overnight, so it was like a permafrost underneath with the icy ruts with then a half-inch layer of mud over the top of it. Really challenging. Um, so that was kind of my ex- first experience of, of nationals, and that was in 2013, actually thinking back about it now um, and I had to rush home because my son was about to be born as well so uh, <laughs> I remember getting off the finish line um, and heading straight for the taxi for the airport <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Um, since then I think I've done nationals nine times now um, with various various results uh, it was in Boulder in 2014 so obviously a local race for me at Valmont Bike Park, with which I was very familiar. Mm. And uh, I had a bad day that day. I was 15th and uh, dropped my chain. And uh, I think I had a crash as well. So 
you know, it just goes to show, <laughs> you know, although we were at elevation, uh, people had to come from all over the nation and uh, you know, we were challenged by that, that elevation element. Um, I didn't have a good day. It's all got to go right on the day. So, yeah, over the years, I've, I've had um, various attempts at winning and it's, it's come very close in the past and uh, I just felt like it was within reach and if I kept chipping away at it one day it was bound to go go my way. Yeah I mean as you said you've admitted already that you're 50 now have, have you found it a real challenge to keep your fitness um, as we get a bit older or I mean you have to say you still look young <laughs> so you're doing well um, but uh, have you found that a challenge and if so what in particular what aspects you know i i you know i enjoy i enjoy training every day i feel like uh, it's part of my my balance mm. in life is that i need to have exercise um every day and and so from that regard i don't i i'm not challenged in terms of motivation um to get out every day whether it's whether it's a, a cold ride or or a run, certainly this time of year. Um, what I have certainly done over the last couple of years is made sure that I recover properly. Mm. I think in the past I've been guilty of doing all my rides maybe a little bit too hard rather than um, you know, fo- focusing on doing the, the workouts or the repeat sessions uh, hard and then taking recovery days in between. Uh, now I'm learning to ease back a little bit on those recovery days and okay. listen to my body, um, try and stay, stay on top of that um, by having regular sort of um, treatment. I see a thing what you'd call an osteopath, Ben, we call them chiropractors over here, right. um, um, and have my back looked at and do do some stretching and, and try and look after myself more and get, get more sleep in. Okay. feed myself properly but yeah, yeah in terms of the training I, I enjoy that element of it and um, I, I find it relatively easy to push myself hard and I think harking back to what you were saying earlier about our, our early days of running you know that mentality was, was born then for me and I've just carried it through into a different sport and so, although I don't have a coach, never had a cycling coach. Yeah, right. That was one of my questions. No, you, you just done it yourself, yeah? Yeah, I've, I've done it myself. And I feel like all those years with, with Barry coaching me, um, I've learned what, what's good and what works for me. And, um, yeah, I, I, I feel like that's been relatively successful. We certainly learned how to suffer, didn't we, in those reps? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Those track sessions we used to do were, <laughs> were pretty brutal. <laughs> so tell us, what does a typical um, training week look like for you then? Say, let's say, six or eight weeks out from a, the big race. So um, Yeah, okay. So, well, firstly, cyclocross is, is different in terms of how you plan your season. I think probably to what you're used to, Sam, mm. um, Ben, with your... Um, with your triathlon background and duathlon background, you know, we, we have a very intense season of, I think I mentioned an average of 20, 20 races over mm. a three, three and a half month period. So you're racing every weekend, right? Come what may pretty yep. much. And I tend to um, use that to my advantage and race myself into fitness. Um, 
and try and try and race as much as I can really within reason. So if there's if there's an opportunity to do a race on a Saturday and a Sunday, mm. I will. Mm. You know? And how um, does that Sunday feel if you've if you've raced on a Saturday? You it, you, you it can cope, varies. can you? It varies. Yeah, I mean the races are an hour long, so uh, you're not got a lot of sort of endurance fatigue, but. Um, yeah, you can definitely get away with it. Um, Sometimes you feel better than others, but in general, I would say, personally speaking, I seem to do quite well off it, whereas other people might suffer a little bit more. But um, in terms of um, scheduling and and training leading up to the season, I'll definitely um, do at least one hard session a week, whether that's, you know, um, the aforementioned Wednesday Worlds, or sometimes they have some pre-season races that might only be half an hour long, um, and you just put the hammer down for half an hour and just treat it as a, a, a training session. Um, but yeah, I'll often go out once a week with a bunch of uh, road road riders, mm-hmm. and um, again, the quality <laughs> of the the peloton here in Boulder is such that um, you know I'm I'm often hanging on by my fingernails. <laughs> Um, so yeah, they'll just go out for a regular Tuesday evening ride and inevitably it'll be a, a hammer fest. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, you know, I use that to, to, um, use that as training sessions. So in general week, sort of during the summer, um, after I've done perhaps a few mountain bike races, so there is some residual fitness there. Um, I'll do a, a long ride on a Sunday, go up into the mountains Long ride for me would be like four or five hours, and I won't do an awful lot of those. Mm. Um, generally, I'm, I'm probably riding two hours a day, hour and a half, two hours a yeah. day. And really, that's the beauty again of cyclocross for me. You don't have to put a lot of hours in, albeit the, the what you do put in has to be a bit more intense than perhaps uh, you know a road racer who's who's wanting to race for three or four hours at a time. Course. Um, so yeah, I get out on the bike every day, do one at least one hard session, probably two hard sessions a week, one long ride a week, and then the rest is just getting some uh, elevation in. Really, two hour, hour and a half ride after work, go up to the mountains, and um, yeah, I, I, I tend to go as I feel. You know, if I feel good on a particular day, I will, I will push it, um, but. <laughs> I don't really have a, a structure that you might have from a from a coach. I, I really just listen to my body and how I feel on the day and how busy my day has been and what else I've got to get done as well. No, that's that's good. That's the perfect individualised training plan, isn't it? <laughs> this is going yeah, how I you mean, feel. Yeah, it seems to be working. I mean, I, sometimes it's embarrassing not to be more sophisticated than that. Really, I, oh. I just uh, I I I keep an eye on my heart rate, um, but I don't, you know get into the statistics too much no um, not power uh, either i only got a power meter for the first time last year there we so go. good for you i'm still getting used to that thing and yeah. um like I, like i mentioned my my training partner felipe he's uh he's coached by another brit actually uh former 800 meter runner now uh cyclocrosser and mountain biker and um he he doles out the, the training sessions for Felipe and they, they're mm. definitely dialed into the, the power meters and they yeah. watch all that. So, yeah, mm. uh, not, not too sophisticated, but I definitely listen to my body and 
and uh, go as I feel. It seems to be working. <laughs> Well, obviously worked this year. Let's move on to this year then, which, as we've just we said at the beginning, culminated in you winning the national champ. So, talk us briefly through the season before the race, and then the race itself. And let's hear about your your day of glory. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Ben. Um, yeah, so uh, last last year we had COVID, of course, and mm. it was basically half the season we had here in Colorado, um, and no national championships. So uh, coming into this season, I actually ended up doing a, a full, a pretty much full mountain bike season. Um, so I raced um, up in Winter Park, did a Winter Park series, and that's at about 9,000 feet, um, and various other races up in, the, up in the Rockies, which was a really good platform coming into cyclocross. So um, I came in fit. Um, I'd also just moved up an age group last year, so I was still relatively young. Uh, for those of you who don't know, they because of the way they split the year with the age groups, cyclocross kind of falls in the middle of that, so you always add, an year, add a year. So although I was 49 last year, I was actually able to compete as 50-plus. So this season was my second official 50-plus season. Um, and, yeah... Um, got stuck in with the racing in September. I did mix it up. I did uh, alternate between 40-plus age group and the 50-plus age group. And, All right, um, you can go to a lower age group if you want. Yeah, go lower. You obviously can't go higher. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the competition's obviously a bit slightly better in the 40-plus age group, but the fields were much bigger in the 50-plus age group, funnily enough. Um, so I was alternating depending on how my training had been going and how busy my week was and, and the forthcoming races. And um, you touched on the, the point system. So here in the, the US, at least, um, all of the USA Cycling um, affiliated races, of which most of them are, um, have a national pointing, uh, point ranking system. And the idea is, you know, if you, if you want to do well at nationals, you want a good call up on the on the grid. So typically there'll be a hundred people at nationals um, competing in a particular five year age group, and they'll line you up in rows of eight. And um, for obvious reasons, you want to be coming to nationals and getting a call up position that's as close to the front as possible. Mm, yeah. You avoid avoid having to pass people, uh, particularly if it's a uh, a narrow course. Um, yeah, I think we saw um, Van der Poel a couple of weeks ago, who obviously hadn't raced yet, had he this year, and so he got started a bit further back, but he managed to like sprint to the front in no time, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, and um, obviously you want to conserve as much energy as possible, and people with skills like him and, and the ability like him can just do that at the drop of a hat, but yeah. <laughs> for people like me, it's a lot harder, so you want to take any advantage you can, so the focus for me is always trying to maximise your points um, to give you the best call up at nationals, and in doing so, you know you work your way through the season and pick races and look at the competitors on the start list to see where you think you're going to get your best right. points. Um, so yeah, I was alternating between racing forty plus and fifty plus. Um, came in pretty fit. Did you have to travel a lot to find these good races, or is it, can you do it quite locally? No, lo luckily, you know, um, along with 
the East Coast, I think the East Coast is probably the, the biggest hub for cyclocross in the US, but Colorado is also huge. Mm. Um, and so we have a lot of promoters and races um, all through the season, and the competition is really stiff. So I, I haven't really had to travel outside of Colorado other than for, for nationals. Um, I've done one or two races. I've done Cross, Ra- Cross Vegas, which doesn't exist anymore. Well, that was a fun mm. race. Um, and then I did um, a couple of UCI races in Cincinnati mm. two years ago. Um, but there are definitely UCI, you know, Cat 2 and Cat 1 races in the US that you can travel to, you know, with my my work schedule and responsibilities, it's kind of tough to do that. Mm. So I, I might target one or two a season. But generally, yeah, I just stay locally. You only have to travel, you know, anywhere from 15 minutes to, to 45 minutes to get to get to your races every weekend, which is a real luxury. So um, what, what road did you end up on then on the day in the Nationals? So, yeah, they, they, they because, because of COVID and... Um, some of the, the non-USA cycling, cycling sanctioned races, they changed the point system um, and they used uh, a, a website called crossresults.com instead of the USA cycling ranking systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that seemed to, you know, because of COVID and the way last year, the, the previous year there hadn't been much racing at all, um, it kind of skewed the point system. So I ended up on the second row okay. um, for the first time ever, I think. And um, when, you, when you've got aspirations to win, that was kind of a bit of a blow to me because it seemed like all the East Coast guys were, were racing each other week in, week out. And I was, I was in, in Colorado and didn't really know um, or, or regularly race anybody else in, in, in the Nationals field. Mm. Um, so anyway, I was on the second row which uh, was, you know, always stressful because you never know what's going to happen. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen off the start line where there'll be these massive crashes. And the way the course was set up this year, there was definitely opportunity for that to happen. So, yeah, I learned, um, they, they called the first row. I was the second call-up for the second row. So I was 10th uh, call-up. And which effectively meant that I could choose where I wanted it to be okay. positioned behind that front row and um i one of my nemesis uh <laughs> nemesis uh, is a guy called adam myerson a former pro cyclocrosser and he's beaten me into second place um twice now in previous nationals so he he lined up on the left hand side and um having sort of done some reconnaissance on the course the days previous i knew that that was the best line-up position, bearing in mind the corners that were coming up at the end of the straightaway. And then um, you jumped into a sand pit and mm-hmm. uh, there was going to be carnage. And I'd watched some of the racing before, um, the days before my race, and there were lots of crashes in the sand pit. So I knew it was going to be critical to, to get out front early. So I figured if I'd sit, I could sit on Adam's wheel ideally and he's like i say a former pro cyclocrosser and, and road racer i knew he was going to get a good start and hopefully he was just going to pull me past everybody and, and by the end of the, the first straight we'd be in a good spot and uh yeah it it went like clockwork that's exactly what happened um by the time we got down the end of the, the first straight and into the first corner um i was in second spot behind him 
Brilliant. And um, it transitioned from, you know, tarmac onto grass with a sharp left-hand turn and um, got, got away with that without getting uh, any interference from anybody else. Followed his wheel. There was a long sweeping left-hander on the grass, which was kind of tacky um, and slippery because, as I said earlier, there, there'd been a frost that morning, which had melted. Yeah. So it was kind of uh, hard dirt underneath with a sort of soft, greasy surface. And uh, went around that corner, and I got the opportunity to pass Adam before getting into the sandpit. And the sandpit yeah. was about 50 meters long. It was it was a pretty long sandpit with deep sand. And people on the days before had been, because they could carry so much speed into it, they'd been coming into that sandpit too fast, and their front wheels had sort of been diving in, <laughs> and lots of people going over the bars at speed. And so um, yeah, I managed to enter the sandpit in first, took a bit of the speed off, and managed to pedal all the way through it out the other side, and uh, came out of you know the first 200 yards of the race, in first spot and uh you know that was that just went perfectly to plan in terms of the start <laughs> yeah, yeah and then you never looked back was there much running in the race or was it were you pedaling most or nearly all the time yeah the conditions were relatively good so um there was only uh i think yeah there was only one section where you had to run if you could ride the, all the sand which i managed to do each lap um there was some barriers um about foot a foot high, yeah. twelve inch high barriers. Two of those, uh, and I I do choose to to run my barriers. Yeah. <laughs> a because it's not worth the risk. I I can bunny hop some of the lower barriers, but um, in a sort of stressful race situation when you're already tired, to me, um, it's not worth the risk. And I'm relatively quick on my feet. Yeah. So I always dismount for the barriers unless they're particularly short. Um, so yeah, apart from that, it was it was all riding and um, a few short, sharp climbs. Um, yeah. Cool. And and was there a point when you knew you had it in the bag, or with cyclocross, can you not think that until you cross the line? Um, a bit of both, really, Ben. To be honest, um, like I said, I, I I pretty much led from the start um, and just focused on my own race. Uh, I knew that there was, I had sort of a bit of company behind me. Luckily, there was uh, quite a lot of spectators on the course um, telling mm. me what, what was going on. But I was definitely focused on what on my race and, and what was going on ahead of me. Um, so, yeah, came into the sort of second lap. People had told me that I'd opened up a gap of about uh, 10, 15 seconds at that point. And... Um, I, I did I did feel good on the day I must admit and it felt relatively easy <laughs> um, to my astonishment I have to say I feel slightly embarrassed saying that but um, <laughs> I, I felt great it was one of those days you know that are all too rare where everything comes together usually it's on mm. a it's on a training ride or something where you feel yeah. really good. <laughs> you wish you were racing well I guess after nine attempts it was it was my day for it was that your turn happen. yeah. And so, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I negotiated all the, the technical sections of the course without. I made one mistake um, in the whole race that I recall. Um, 
where we had to dismount. Oh, there was a second. There was a second uh, running section, which was some very slippery, muddy stairs. Um, so we had to dismount at the bottom of this um, very muddy uh, straightaway that came into the stairs. And if you've seen any uh, clips of the racing, that was where everyone was falling over. Then that was, uh, that was I'll send it. you. You are. Yeah. Um, anyway, ran up the stairs. And it was very muddy at that point, and you remount the bike, and there was a couple of um, sort of uh, rolling hills to, to negotiate, and I, I couldn't get my pedals clipped in yeah. on the first lap properly because they were caked in mud, and I put the power down a little bit early and slipped off my pedals, so I had to sort of uh, run awkwardly for a, a few strides before I could ha- hop back on my saddle and, and knock my, the mud off my cleats before I could get uh, into my clips properly. But that was uh, that was the only problem I had on in the whole race, really. And and every lap there was it was a five lap race, forty five minutes. Every lap I seemed to be able to you know stretch out the lead even further. And Brilliant. there was a point at which you know that where the course doubled back through the woods, I, I stopped seeing people coming <laughs> coming past uh, behind me, and I thought, wow, uh, I might actually win this. And mm. it's, at that point, it was just a case of. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep your head on. Don't don't do anything silly and ride a little bit more conservatively. And then on the last lap, I suppose I, I kind of really believed I was going to win and could start enjoying it a bit and ease the throttle back a little bit. So yeah, fantastic. And now you've got a brilliant American national champion jersey, which we're hoping to get some pictures of first. Uh, on the Instagram and that when we when we put this episode out. Right, we're nearly out of time, so I'm going to ask you to answer in in uh, ten seconds or or less these next few questions before I say All goodbye. Right. Okay, so first one: aim for next year in the future. Now you've achieved that. What's next? Well, um, I'd like to defend my US title, of course. Um, you mentioned earlier I have done the British Championships uh, once before, so uh, there's a possibility I might come back and have a stab at that. Um, but also, um, I think Masters World Championship is going to be back in uh, in Ipswich again oh, really? this next year. So uh, it was there. It was there a few few weeks ago. Uh, I sadly missed out on that thanks to to COVID and, and the travel restrictions. But um, yeah, um, full season here in in Colorado. Maybe a few UCI races in the US, and then the possibility of um, of coming to do Masters Worlds after I've hopefully defended my title in the US here. Brilliant. Right, so you get to choose now whether you talk about the bike or the run or a combination of both, but uh, what's your favourite session for us? Okay, my favourite run or bike session would be uh, a hill session. Uh, short intensity, um, but, you know, uh, really beneficial for a cyclocross, I think we have a, a lot of elevation gain in uh, our races here in the US. So, um, yeah, I'd say something like five lots of 30-second um, hills at perhaps 85 90% and five minutes between the sets and do perhaps four sets of, of five 30-second hills. Brilliant. So your favourite food? Favourite pre-race food? Yeah, favourite pre-race food, um, I would say pasta, you can't go wrong, right? <laughs> um, but try not to overeat, uh, I, I definitely need time to digest my, 
my food before before I race. Um, you know, if it's a if it's a relatively early race, maybe I'll just have a, a bagel with cream cheese or something like that. But I have um, concentrated more on having um, a shake and some protein prior to my racing this this season. So uh, at least two hours before, I'll do a protein shake um, and some beet juice in there as well mm. and make sure I'm properly hydrated um, you know so I'll have one or two uh, bottles of uh, scratch or something like that prior okay. to my reps so yeah excellent and we'll finish um, with you telling us your favourite memories of Cambridge and if there's anyone you want to say hello to or any message you've got for anyone you can include that but uh, do you miss the old place or or not <laughs> Yeah, of course I miss Cambridge. It's an amazing place. I was back there in uh, October. Um, very fond memories. Um, love the surrounding countryside. Um, favorite favorite memories is is running really, training with you guys and uh, knocking out hard sessions on a Saturday morning or on the track. Um, just just all those experiences and the camaraderie that we had together as training partners. Really, um, yeah. I do a lot of training on my own these days, so I do miss that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, shout out to, to Barry. Hi, Barry. <laughs> Thanks for coaching me all those years. As you can see, you're still uh, having an impact, so thank you for that. And uh, Mike and Sam and John Boasted, people mm. like that. It was awesome training with you guys. Yeah, well, Come I've... over to Colorado and train with us. Yeah, well, I've seen all three of those people in, in the last couple of weeks, so that's brilliant. Okay, Matt. Well, thank you ever so much. Fantastic congratulations on, well, on the great running career firstly and then on doing amazingly in, in cyclocross. Really impressive that, you know, you've managed to keep the, your level of fitness and racing at, at so high for so long. So thanks ever so much and, uh, yeah, hope to see you in the flesh at some point. Yeah, thanks, Ben. I'll be back uh, not, not too uh, shortly, hopefully, and... Uh... Yeah, we will we'll go out for a ride together. I don't think we've ever been for a ride mm-hmm. together. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. on, your, on your time trial bike, no doubt. I'll keep up. <laughs> I think mean, that's the only way I get anywhere near you. Cheers, Matt. That's fantastic. Thank you. My pleasure, Ben. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed my chat with Matt Davies there half as much as I did. Really, really like that interview. Interesting to note that 8% of our listeners are in the United States. I've no idea why that is, but uh, hopefully they'll find this episode particularly nice as it refers a lot to Boulder, Colorado and the United States National Championships, of course. In fact, we've had downloads in 36 countries now. Quite incredible. And uh, we're actually top of the Saudi Arabia running podcast charts. I think that was thanks to my um, interview with Will Clark, who's got coaches out there, as he was telling us. Anyway, as I've said before, give Matt a follow at MattDavies5 on Instagram. And I'll be back very soon with another great episode. So until then, keep training, keep enduring. Whatever. She comes up to me and she's all like, hey, aren't you that dude? I'm like, yeah, whatever.
So later, I'm, I'm at the pool hall, and this girl comes up, and she's all like, oh, and I'm like, yeah, whatever. corner wearing my leather. This dude comes up and he's like, hey, punk. I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> then I'm throwing dice in the alley. Officer Leroy comes up and he's like, hey, I thought I told you. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> then up comes Zaffo. I'm like, yo, Zaffo, what's up? He's like, Dut. I'm like, that's cool. Because this is my you now.